Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the EcoCar podcast, presented by ABTCs, powered by Argonne National Laboratory, General Motors, and the U.S. Department of Energy and MathWorks. I'm your host, Lucas Schultz, and I hope you're excited to ride along on this EcoCar journey. Here at EcoCar, we like to get up to speed quickly, and our podcast is going to be no different. We're going to start out our conversation today with some of our EcoCar VIPs and headline sponsors. First, Michael Barabee, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Transportation at the U.S. Department of Energy's Office for Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. Following him will be Christy Rasbach, the Autonomous Vehicle Chief Engineer at General Motors. These two will dive into a conversation moderated by Ann Schlenker, Argonne National Laboratory's Director of the Center for Transportation Research. I won't hold up the discussion with our special guests any longer. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I'll check back with you on the other side. Thank you very much, Lucas, for that introduction and welcome to the very first EcoCar podcast. Michael and and Christy, a special welcome to you for joining us today. Let's provide, yeah, happy to have you. Uh, We're gonna provide some background first, maybe uh, on both of you, just to make sure our listeners uh, know who you are and what organizations you represent. So Christy Rosbach is here today. She's the uh, chief engineer of autonomous uh, vehicles at General Motors, and we're thrilled to have her. She has a long stint in the auto industry, starting, I think, as a co-op student when you were 17 years old and the third generation General Motors employee in your family. So uh, a lot of good uh, lineage uh, in the Detroit area, I would say. You know, went to school at University of Michigan for mechanical engineering, so go blue. Uh, and, uh, and with that, a master's degree at Purdue University as well. And for many of us, we'll have a recognition of your responsibilities with 2017 Chevy Volt as program engineering manager on that. And then, of course, 2019, the autonomous vehicle chief engineer. So a real trail that you blazed for all of us, Christy, and we're thrilled to have you today. Welcome. Thank you. Of course. And our next guest is uh, Michael Barabee, the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for Sustainable Transportation in the U.S. Department of Energy's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. What a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) It'll work to shorten that title. Yeah. Yeah, he oversees the uh, EERE's office that includes vehicle and fuel cell and bioenergy technology offices, focusing really on access to domestic clean transportation fuels. He comes from MIT background by training with a couple of degrees there, master's and bachelor of science there uh, in policy program, and also a master's degree from the Sloan School of Management. Uh, so very impressive uh, credentials. He also spent, I think, over 25 years in the auto industry as well, so quite a bit of of experience that's relevant to our conversation today. So, Michael, welcome to the show as well. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here, especially on the first uh, episode. Yeah, that's right. First, how you grasping 2021? Does it feel a lot like 2020 for you as it does for me? It has been, without a doubt, a busy beginning of the year. Let's just put it that way. Obviously, we're, uh, we've been preparing kind of uh, transition, new administration. So there's a, a lot, lot to do there and, you know, a, a lot of good efforts going. We'll have a chance to talk more about. Yeah, absolutely. So let's maybe jump right into it. 
and I'll ask a, a couple of questions and look forward to your responses as, as we have this conversation. As headline sponsors of EcoCar, uh, many listeners pay really close attention to the Department of Energy and, and General Motors and the messaging that they do. General Motors has been very public around an all-electric future with a message of zero crashes and zero emissions and zero congestion, very lofty goals that uh, the CEO has communicated. And of course, many in society want to get behind those goals as well. Michael, one of your messaging as well and goals of your office is to move America closer to a clean energy economy. But you come at it from different ways. In other words, uh, Christy, you're a private sector and Michael, uh, government sector instead. So how do you see intersections and partnerships and collaborations in those big lofty missions? You know, as, as far as the, the private sector piece of this, you mentioned GM's vision of a future world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. I mean, that is in alignment with the movement toward a clean energy economy. We believe all autonomous vehicles should be electric vehicles. So that's going to advance our zero, zero, zero vision. And it's also going to help us build a more sustainable and accessible world. And um, how me and my team fit into that, I'm leading the GM team that's working on the Cruise 80. That's the Chevrolet Bolt EV derived autonomous vehicle. And, you know, I think what's really exciting for us is that AVs are, they're really already here. In fact, Cruise, who is the self-driving company backed by GM, who I work very closely with, they're currently testing AVs on the streets of San Francisco. So it's just really important that we continue to collaborate across the public and the private sector to achieve these shared goals. Michael, your thoughts? I want to just start out by thanking Christy Yu, General Motors, your management, as well as I know the many people across GM that help make EcoCar work. We could never do it without you. And uh, same for all our, our other sponsors. I guess that's the point of EcoCar. We have these aggressive goals to deliver a clean energy economy and clean transportation. And you know, I'm super proud of the work that, that you and the national labs are doing, developing new technology. But... We in government can develop all the technology in the world, right? It's not going to go anywhere unless private sector is putting it into, into vehicles or utility industry, uh, cleaning up the grid with low energy solutions. So we know that we in government have a responsibility to be doing our part, right? We can't just set goals and expect everyone else to do it without us doing our part and developing the technology, doing the deployments, the first of a kind deployments, de-risking some technology. I think in automation and connectivity, we're we're maybe not quite at that point yet because some of the technology is still in development, but th there will be coming that point where we need to, to look at public-private partnerships a little more. How do you de-risk some of the technology? How do you get them out there to look at the benefits and you know safety and, and environmental together? So I guess my perspective is why I'm excited about EcoCar brings these together um, along with the education piece and a workforce development piece, which is so critically important. Yeah, it's good to hear that you both put a lot of value into these partnerships because I think it is so, so very important. Um, and I think as we look towards the new administration that's coming in in the very near term, they've communicated a platform that is quite ambitious for electrification, for decarbonization, and, and even uh, climate change actions. 
And so I wonder, you know, what new business models or innovations or technologies are going to be most important to further that agenda and societal goals? Uh, what are some of the challenges and, and at the same time, the big opportunities, I think, for, for the U.S. in this space? Those are ambitious goals. You know, a few thoughts. One, I think we have to be looking at the entire transportation system. In EcoCar, we'll focus on light-duty vehicles, which by far are the majority, but transportation is a lot broader than that. So looking at how freight is delivered, whether it be, you know, freight to the home or heavy-duty trucks, aviation and maritime as well. So um, we are trying to craft strategies and technology roadmaps that cover all of those. Uh, one thing I think we have to do is we have to have a sense of urgency, though. We have to realize that uh, we've done a lot of great work on developing technology and where we were four or five years ago and what we would have been, um, let's say our relative confidence level would have been a lot lower than where it is today. I think that's true in the government. I, I think, you know, it's definitely true in industry as well when I, when I talk to folks, but we've got to get a sense of, okay, urgency. If we want to achieve these goals and the new administration has not only put goals out, but they put time frame those goals, they are more easily achieved if we start early and have a collective vision. I remember from my time in industry, you know, one of the things that we value over anything else is clarity, certainty and direction, and a level playing field. So far better now, 15 years out to say, let's all agree across government, industry, utility, everyone on what the goal is. Where do we want to be in 2035? Create a common shared vision. And then I think we have a lot better chance of getting there and achieving it versus relying purely on, you know, waiting to the end and doing purely command and control regulations. So that type of cooperative approach. But I'm saying that as the non-regulatory guy. <laughs> and, and Christy, uh, General Motors has made a lot of announcements and a lot of investment, uh, billions and billions of dollars in electrification and some timeframe commitments as well for autonomous vehicles. So how do you think all of that plays into the, the White House administration uh, goals? Yeah, uh, you know, announcing that we plan to launch 30 new EVs globally by uh, 2025, that's a big deal. And, um, you know, thinking about the new administration, President-elect Biden recently said that he believes that we can own the 21st century car market again by moving to electric vehicles. We couldn't agree more here at GM. The electrification goals of the incoming administration and GM are aligned to address climate change. So, you know, in addition to launching 30 new EVs by 2025, we're working on driving battery cell costs down, adding new EV charging plugs to our facilities throughout the U.S. and Canada. And, you know, speaking about that, hey, we have to get on it. That was Michael's message. But I think that's our sense, too. We know that as a company and as a country, we've got a long way to go in this journey to an all-electric future that we believe so deeply in. And a big piece of that is consumer adoption of EVs. So any policies that advance electrification are really going to be important over the next several years as soon as possible. And, um, you know, we, GM looks forward to collaborating with the Biden administration and to continue to collaborate across the U.S. auto industry to deliver an all-electric future. You know, Christy, if I could, I think Christy brought up a great point there about, you know, Certainly climate and uh, environmental issues are, are critical here, but they are by no means the only focus. This is a competitiveness issue. It's a competitiveness of the domestic industry and it's a jobs issue. You know, there's, there's no doubt that the world is developing new green technology. I mean, obviously technology continues to develop in all fronts over 
over decades. And if we are not owning part of that, right, we're at, at significant risk. And I think there's a great opportunity here by moving aggressively, I compliment General Motors, to help develop those jobs, that skilled workforce, to have an opportunity to, you know, have a piece of that future green economy. Because there is no question it is coming globally. It is happening. And we are well positioned technologically on the underlying technology. We have some of the greatest scientists in the world, in the national labs. We want to make sure that we have those great, well-paying jobs across the country as well. Perfect. And, and I would suggest to both of you that it's beyond just electrification, right? Uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, autonomous vehicles as well and, and connected and automated vehicles. And that's also a, a global push that we see. And so the U.S. certainly wants to have leadership in that space. Christy, as we think about AVs and you being the, the chief engineer for General Motors in, in this uh, domain, I wonder how GM considers where to invest, where to develop talent, where to have core expertise as a competitive advantage, where to collaborate, et cetera. And I think this conversation is important as we think about our listeners, right? Those that are ready to graduate, the EcoCar students, and they're wondering, you know, what that core expertise is within the, the OEMs as compared to startups and, and suppliers, as an example. Yeah, you know, I, I think I said earlier that at GM, we believe that all AVs should be EVs. You know, that's from my perspective and, and what I do every day. The integration of the AV technology is simpler. It's also, you know, building electric vehicles with self-driving capability that's really integrated from the start instead of through retrofits. We believe strongly that that's the safest way to, to do that. So I think when you look at GM's expertise, there's a lot of it. We have everything from design, engineering, validation, testing, you know, all under one roof at GM, and we work really, really closely on the integration of the AV technology with crews. So that kind of tells you and, and sets up our, our working relationship and where our expertise is. I think the, the hiring piece of this is really important to talk about, Ann and Michael, as we, we talk about our plans for an all-electric future. And clearly, you know, we need more engineers, we need, you know, more of a workforce with the skill set to achieve the vision. So one of the things we're doing is for hiring through the first quarter of this year, we've announced we're going to hire, I think it's around 3,000 new employees to really help wow. get at this transformation that we're going through with the future of product development. So if I'm on an eco car team right now and I'm thinking about where I might want to potentially point my career, I think there's going to continue to be a, a lot of opportunities with the vision I've talked about and the approach that we believe in and the, the hiring that's in line with that. And Michael, not, not directly necessarily uh, applicable to you as, as far as what's within your walls, but there's an analogy I would suggest both with the national labs over the expertise that they have and the partnering that happens with other academic institutions and either even other government agencies that the Department of Energy partners with to further the cause. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that one of my, my big messages on government and the transition we're going through is we need to have multiple agencies, you know, in the transportation space, obviously the U S department of transportation, 
DOE actually has a huge R&D budget and drives a lot of the advanced technology development in, in clean, uh, clean energy. EPA, if all three of us are working collectively and working closely, we can move things a lot further. And so in the case of automation and connectivity, we have regular conversations and, and joint work with EPA and us and with DOT to look at how do you utilize these technologies. And I guess one example maybe people don't think about a lot, you know, Mary Vera talks about a, a vision of zero, 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 right? Uh, zero emission, zero crashes, zero congestion. And I'm guessing the zero congestion piece probably gets the least amount of attention directly within GM just because it's a little harder to control, right? It's outside of the vehicle maybe, but automation connectivity technology, I think we've shown and, and with the work at the labs has shown that there's an opportunity to utilize some of that technology to help address congestion, which translates directly into getting better mobility for people, lower emissions and safety, you know, as, as a third order uh, from just less congestion, never mind, of course, the safety from just having automated vehicles and avoiding the, the driver errors. So um, different perspective in there, you know, we start thinking broadly across the mandate of government overall, it goes beyond the federal agencies to local and state. A lot of transportation is actually at the local and state level. And certainly congestion is the province of state and local. So we have to think about how do we work as industry and government with that local and state level. We've got a number of demonstration projects with some of the OEMs looking at automated connectivity technology, demonstrating them in cities, in places like in Detroit, actually Detroit Ann Arbor. So I think that's a, a great opportunity. If I can... Uh... Expand a little bit more on the electrification in the AV technologies that we've been talking about. You can't ignore the elephant in the room of COVID and the pandemic that we're dealing with. It's upset our entire world. I would say everything from our social settings and the way we work and the way we interact with others and, of course, the essential workers that are so important to us. But I wonder specifically what it's done to product development cycles, to the opportunity to invest in some of the technologies, and are, are things being delayed because of it, where people have had to take a one or two year pause or stretch things out just because of, of the pandemic itself? I remember the Friday that was my last day in the office in March of last year, and going home that day, I kind of thought, well, this is, you know, this will be a couple months. It'll be, you know, and, and, and then we'll be back. And it's really amazing to me. I don't know how you feel, Michael, or, or what your work situation is. My team and I have been mostly remote since that time. And um, I, I, I remember thinking, I don't know how long this is going to go on. And I, I knew how much work we had planned that year and, and some of the milestones we had planned in autonomous and thinking, you know, what is this going to mean? But it's really exciting to be at this point now. Sure, a lot of time has passed, but really, despite the pandemic, we haven't missed a beat. And if you would have asked me back in March if that's what I would have suspected would happen, I wouldn't have been so sure. But I have a couple of proof points that I wanted to talk through as I reflect on last year and how proud I am of our teams. All of the EV and AV programs at GM remain on track despite the pandemic. And we made some recent announcements that through 2025, we're going to invest more than $27 billion in capital and engineering resources in our EV and AV programs. 
And um, I think the thing that I'm most proud of is this past October, Cruz received a permit from the California DMV to test vehicles without a driver behind the wheel, which is a very significant milestone in the journey to autonomous. So not only that, they got the permit in October, but in December, they started testing and operating self-driving test vehicles on the streets of San Francisco without a driver behind the wheel. So that took a lot of strong collaboration between the GM and cruise teams. Um, Because of the pandemic, almost all of that work was remote, but we didn't miss a beat. And that's something that I'm extremely proud of. That that is impressive. I, um, you know, you said, and I, you know, as you as well have a lot of history in the auto industry and it is so hard to imagine going a year in automotive development. You know, it's development. It, it is someone hands-on. And I, I got to think, you know, in working in connectivity and automation, right, you have in any of the areas that are more electronic focused, there's a lot more of that. I think you've had it harder from that point of view to achieve your mission than we have. I mean, we in government, we do a lot of, you know, our, our work is done through decisions and meetings and we're not having to physically create things that aren't on paper. So that's a lot easier to do remote, but like with everyone, I think it's worth recognizing and, you know, for people, uh, students, others in IFCAR, it's a challenge being remote. It, it's a dis- such a disruption, such a change. Everyone t- takes it differently. Um, some, some people's just natural personalities maybe, maybe can take it better, but, you know, some maybe show it better, but deep down, I think it affects all of us. So I think it's really important we remember that. We spend extra time with that um, personal touch, that personal connection. A little bit can go a long way here. And I'm reminded every day, every week, I'm dealing with, with my team, how how important that is. Uh, on a side note, you know, Ann knows me and I, I love to like um, talk with my hands and I love nothing better than getting up on the whiteboard and thinking visually. <laughs> so uh, that has been a challenge. I've been thinking about, can I get a big whiteboard behind me and work on it and show it on the screen? But I don't think it would work the same. Yeah. You might have a, a little resistance at home for the, the new decor <laughs> that, that would be brought in. Yeah. So so let's take a little journey as a time travel, but let's go backwards. You both had experience and success in your career and many, many years ahead of you. But it, as you think of yourself 20 or, or 25 years ago, back as a graduating student, right? And you have newfound wisdom today. What would you tell your, yourself at 20 or, or 25 years of age based on what you now know for career choices, for alignment with passion and interest, for your geographic location, for organization size? Just uh, how would you better shape your own thinking around a career? So, Michael, let's let you start that one. Let's see, I'll give a little anecdote here. So people, you know, students in EcoCar thinking about getting a job, maybe in the automotive industry. I was in the car industry, but I was really wanting to go into the product side of things. And I had a uh, interview with a, a manager who was in charge of a product team. And he said to me, he said, so, you know, Detroit and uh, cars, all that. What's your first memory of like, really like, you know, working in cars, being in cars, kind of like that. And I, I looked at him and kind of made a split second decision of like, just being very transparent. I said, look, I just, I'll be honest, I'm not, I didn't grow up with cars. I'm not a car person. They're things I use and do, <laughs> but like, but I see like this need. And, and I said, and I relate to like, I think that's maybe not that different than a lot of other people. And um, I ended up getting the job and he said, you know, 
you're, it surprised me, but the honesty there and kind of directness made me think, well, okay, not everyone is the same. Not everyone has the same point of view. Not everyone is a gearhead. And, uh, you know, in EcoCar, we have a broad group of people, a broad group of experiences. And maybe that was one good experience. I'll, I'll give you a bad after, but, you know, be yourself and don't feel like you have to be the gearhead, the car person, the person who has gasoline in your veins, all, all the great analogies. That's all cool. But Automotive is about a lot more it's about transportation. How do you connect with the average everyday person? In reality, most people need to get from point A to B to, to you know get food on the table, bring their kids to school, take care of day-to-day business. That's what they care about. And if you can relate to that and think about those average person, that's as important as being the biggest uh, gearhead. So different perspective. Christy, I'll let yeah. you, uh, get some, <laughs> I'll come back and get one more negative thing I did. <laughs> I identified so much with what you just said, Michael. Me, clearly, I I grew up in Southeast Michigan. I grew up around cars. You know, this may come as a surprise to some of our um, listeners from EcoCar, but even, you know, in spite of that, I, in college, I was afraid of joining one of the project teams or one of the competition teams. I was a mechanical engineering major, but there was something that was holding me back. And I think that as I look into earlier in my career, I I can now in hindsight see a little bit of a pattern there. And I think there was a hesitation on my part to do something that I felt like maybe I can't do this perfectly. So if it's a huge risk, if it feels too risky, I'm going to go the safe route. I'm going to do, you know, those roles that seem to only be aligned with the degree I received. And what I've learned over the last 20 years in my career at GM is I, I think I was holding myself back. And there's there's really, if I could do it over again, there's four things I would tell my, you know, early 20 something self that, you know, Christy, don't be so worried about doing things perfectly. Rather, you know, it's more important to be fearless. It's more important to be brave. If it's something you're interested in or something that you want to try, go for that job that you're not 100% qualified for. Don't let the fear of imperfection or or not doing it exactly right hold you back. And I, I think it did for me for a long time. Only in the last decade have I gotten comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's my second lesson learned. It's it's really embracing that discomfort, which in the space I'm working in now and all the ambiguity, you know, discomfort happens when you're growing, when you're learning. And if you're comfortable, I think it's it means it might be time for a change. So seeking challenging roles that might make you uncomfortable, that discomfort is a good thing. And I'm, I'm really learning to embrace that in my, my current role. Also, I think some of the EcoCar participants have mentors that they're working with that may be making recommendations to them about opportunities or fields that they might want to enter. You know, make sure you're really listening to some of that input and considering that. I, In hindsight, I call that walking through the open door. You know, some of my best roles and my best experiences along the way are ones that I wouldn't have necessarily chosen for myself or that I had already ruled out for one reason or another. But a mentor that I trusted came along and recommended something to me. So I listened to some of that feedback and took it. 
And those are some of the best experiences that I have. So definitely do that. And then I think Michael made the same point. This is a huge thing. You know, you don't have to be a gearhead. There's a whole bunch of different skill sets we need in this space. What we need you to do is to be you, bring your authentic self, bring your authentic perspective. You don't have to be like everyone else. We don't want you to be like everyone else, in fact. Um, you know, we really need that unique perspective that you're going to bring. So bring it. Don't try to be someone else. Oh, that's well, well said, Christine. That is yeah. Uh, great Outstanding. Advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good thoughts all the way through. They resonated uh, with us, regardless of what, it, what extent you are within your own career from early on. It was outstanding. Michael, you had a... To bring us down, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I think Christy actually just hit it hit it well. Um, I was actually going to say that you know one of the things I look back on is maybe being hesitant to to switch and uh, and and even be one that switch out of like the company I was in. And this is maybe something that's changed in Detroit. I think somewhat. You know, Detroit when I got there it was like it was a really radical thought to like go from chrysler to ford or gm to switch like switch companies in the same industry was like oh my god unheard of to go out to another industry was just like you must be from mars or something but i you know that i think has changed but don't be afraid to go and try a new place a new industry a new approach think about what you're good at and that might be applied in a few different ways so i'll put my plug in for government you know uh Take, take a stab at some point, take two, three years, do public service, work in a government agency somewhere along the way. You do that, you can go back to private industry, you'll be that much more valuable there. And government needs good people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love these responses in this conversation. And it really is about some self-reflection that all of us have to do, right? As to what makes me happy, where's the good fit? and then going for the gusto. And, and if it didn't work out, it's not a failure. It's an opportunity to pivot and, and try something new. So yeah, always embrace those opportunities. But we're, we're really nearing the end of our conversation. Before I let you go, we, we've talked about some, some big and, and some long-term goals, societal goals, goals for each of the organization, investment commitments, but all those aren't gonna happen overnight. So let me ask you as you, wake up you know tomorrow morning and grab your first cup of coffee and maybe you head to the living room <laughs> for your office or, or maybe you get in the in the subway and, and ride into the office but um i'm wondering what near-term kind of projects are bringing a smile to your face that are keeping you energetic and passionate and enthused and are commanding your attention so really a little more near-term as far as where your attention and your uh, your enthusiasm is, you know, I, uh, I I can't talk in great detail about future plans, um, but you know, hopefully, it's clear that the space that I'm leading, AV, autonomous driving technology, this is the, the challenge of a generation. So, in the near term, and Michael, you know, that's going to continue to be my focus. GM, crews, we're going to continue to lead the way, being very, very safety-minded. We've made a ton of progress in the last year. I, I talked about that despite the, the pandemic. In some ways, we probably got more efficient in what we're doing, honestly. So we're going to continue on that path of progress. And I would um, encourage you, encourage our EcoCar participants to 
Just stay tuned, follow GM and Cruz for uh, more information on, you know, what's in front of us this year. I think it's going to be another exciting year. Great. Uh, thanks, Christy. Michael, your thoughts? I am really excited about, uh, I mean, I'm hoping that in, in the next year, in the short term, we are going to be able to start doing some significant demonstrations of the integration between electrifying vehicles and transportation, high levels of renewables on the grid, and how these go hand in hand. You know, electric vehicles, of course, you, you need to have green electricity if you want to reduce emissions overall. And uh, we believe that there's an opportunity for that clean energy, high level of renewables, and electricity to, uh, and EVs to be synergistic. So imagine doing a demonstration in an area where you have literally 100% renewables or renewables and nuclear and 100% EVs or high levels. Those are, you know, but, and you could demonstrate how do these two work together? Baby steps before we can uh, take on the whole country. But if we can demonstrate on smaller scale how that can work, how they work together and learn. We'll, we'll, we'll learn, we don't have it all figured out by any means. I think that would be really cool. And I think that's, in my mind, our, our next step, kind of really scaling this up. Well, we really need to, to close out, but I, I can't thank you both enough, Christy and Michael, for joining the conversation. It's been enlightening for all of our listeners and myself as well, and appreciate your time and your continued commitment to, to EcoCar and, uh, and to the clean energy economy and, and uh, new electrification and automated vehicles that are coming along through the pipeline. So we thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Anne, and uh, thanks also to all of the EcoCar team over at Argonne National Lab, uh, making this all work, especially through the pandemic. Um, doing a great job. Absolutely. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Michael, and thank you to the EcoCar team. This was a lot of fun today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Christy, Michael, and Anne, for the fantastic conversation that should shed some light on what may lay ahead for our EcoCar students as they step into the workforce. We hope you enjoyed this very special first episode and thank you for listening to the EcoCar podcast. You can subscribe to the EcoCar podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, and SoundCloud. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll talk to you soon.